Well, good day, folks, and welcome to episode 19 of uh, Playing Crazy Down Under, the aviation podcast with an Australian Pacific point of view on the world. I'm Grant McCarran, and today it's just myself recording. Uh, Steve Fisher is unable to make it this week. He's had some uh, health issues, and they've made it a bit hard for him to record, so he's taking a break, and uh, you're stuck with me. Rather than do a full diatribe on the news, I've put together a bit of an episode. It contains a number of interviews that uh, we've put together over the last week. Uh, First one up is an interview we were lucky enough to score with Matt Hall and Nigel Lamb when they were flying with the Tamora Aviation Museum uh, a couple of weekends back. The next one is an update from Carlo Santoro, the owner of Flight Experience Melbourne. He's giving us an update on what's new in the world of his 737 fixed-base flight simulator that's open to the public. Following Carlo, we have an interview with Nick Brow. Now, Nick is a uh, balloon pilot. He flies hot air balloons here in Melbourne over the city. Melbourne's uh, potentially the only city in the world that has regular scheduled commercial hot air balloon flights every day of the week. We don't fly if the weather's not too good, but uh, if the weather permits, we're up there with our passengers that gives us about uh, 150 days a year that we can get away with flying on a typical year so nick has a quick chat with us about what it's like flying over the city and then after that we um, will wind up with some news this was a special uh, thanksgiving edition of the australia desk that i recorded for the airplane geeks uh, for their special Thanksgiving episode. So it's just me uh, relating some of the more recent news items. Uh, if you've already heard the uh, the Airplane Geeks Thanksgiving episode, you've pretty much already heard that news. But if you haven't, sit back and enjoy, and uh, we'll see you at the end of the podcast. If you're a regular listener to this show, then you'll no doubt be aware by now that we've had the privilege on two occasions of spending some time with Aussie Red Bull Air Race pilot and overall third place winner of the championship this year, Matt Hall. And in our attempts to uh, always try and do better than the last time, we thought, well, what's better than having one Red Bull Air Race pilot on the show on two occasions? So we thought this time we'll have two Red Bull Air Race pilots on at once. So joining us on the line from up there in New South Wales is Matt Hall. G'day, Matt. G'day, mate. How are you going? Excellent. Welcome back. And... A big thrill for us on the line also is Nigel Lamb. G'day, Nigel. Uh, good day, and uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for being available for us. It's uh, really a huge thrill for us. Oh, it's a pleasure, really. Okay, guys, uh, kicking straight into it. Now, one of the reasons the two of you are actually together and uh, able to have this chat with us is that Nigel's here in Australia as well, and you're both up at Tamora, is that correct? Yeah. Y- yes, it, yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, and um, you guys are going to be flying at Tamora over the weekend. I believe, Matt, you're flying your P-51, and Nigel, which of the two Spitfires are you going to fly? Um, I think, well, I've, I've flown both of them in the last couple of days and i think tomorrow i'll be in the mark eight but uh you know if somebody offers you to to, to display this but you don't quibble which one it is huh yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> funny that now now how is the 16 um have you flown a 16 before yes i have actually interestingly i think i was the last one to display this very mark 16 in um new zealand before it came across in 2006 i was uh, flying it in the the air show at wanaka when uh, when david lowey acquired it so i was re- reunited with it this morning and the mark excellent. 8 i flew in 2001 excellent excellent so how are you guys how are you guys finding it uh you know like 
like you've been competing against each other all year in the, in the Red Bull, and now you're you're flying formation and so on here at Tomorrow. How's that going? I, I actually find it uh, a pleasure because um, I don't really think we've been competing yet, Nigel and I. The, the, the sport of uh, the Red Bull Air Race, while it is a competition, it's really seeing how fast you can go to, as an individual. And Nigel has just been an absolute gentleman, and hopefully I can uh, I, I can be seen the same way that we actually you know wish each other luck before we go flying, and and you want to just do your best performance out there when you're racing. So while we do compete and you get frustrated when things aren't going your way, you know, we've actually have still been able to maintain a good friendship and being able to display the aircraft here together in the same formation is um it really just it suits the whole uh, the whole year to tell you the truth so there'll be no racing each other between the p51 and the mustang it'll all be oh, that's, that's going to happen for sure it's <laughs> <laughs> still going to happen <laughs> somehow, somehow i think um, i will i will be defeated by history because the mustang is much quicker than the spitfire yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's excuses. <laughs> i would reiterate uh what what matt said but the the, the big difference for us is that you know the the the, the there is a great camaraderie on the um, on the air race, but it, it is quite seriously competitive compared to what we're doing now, which is a, a sort of a gathering of like-minded, passionate people who uh, just love flying. So, and it's and it's you know, in comparison for us, it's much much more relaxing. I mean, this is this is a much more of a pleasurable thing because there is there's not the same kind of pressure really. Yeah, and no, I was I was chatting with uh, Doug Hamilton and um, Alan Arthur a, f- a month or two ago uh, when I was in Albury and they were talking about flying in tomorrow and how much fun it was. And one of, one of the questions I've got is how is it structured for you flying in tomorrow? Do you, is everything by the numbers and by the clock? Uh, yeah, it, it it really is. Um, well, it's there's a program, but it's a guide. So uh, we're at the air race. There's, there's a huge amount of stress for a huge amount of reasons uh, on the pilots because you've got by the second of when you've got to be you know, doing certain things, when you're entering the track, when you're doing all these events, uh, even even the media is you know timed within seconds. Uh, and at the top of that, you know you we're in that performance zone where you've got to uh, you've got to you know get the results. Whereas here, there's a program. And for instance, tomorrow, Nigel and I, um, we have between 12 o'clock and 12:50 to get our <laughs> to get our show done. So uh, yeah, so we we have a it's by the clock. Yeah, between 12 o'clock and 12:50. If we go a little bit over time, probably not a big drama. But so uh, we've got 50 minutes to to squeeze in our um our uh, our show, and it's up to us on how we do that as well. So a lot of flexibility and left up to our professionalism to um yeah to make it uh, look as uh, as graceful as it uh, can be for um the people on the ground yeah. nothing nothing beats the sound of those uh, merlin engines is your it's your plane mate is yours a merlin engine one I've, I've probably... yeah yeah mine's uh, mine's a packard merlin whereas um the, the both uh, spits i believe nigel they're both rolls royce um actually, actually not 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 quite originally the um the mark 16 was a had a packard merlin this one does uh, and then the and the mark 8 had a rolls royce merlin but they've put a Packard Merlin in this one because of just compatibility of parts and stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, that's it. I'll tell you what well, you there can you go. I was completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know, you can have your jets, and I've said this before on the podcast where it's all nice to have all your jets flying over, but the sound of a Merlin with it, you know, wide open going straight over you, there's nothing can beat that sound, I reckon. And to have two of them at once, that'd be uh, Nirvana almost, really, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, well, tomorrow we're going to have um, three Merlins and the Allison in the P40 uh, all in the one formation. So uh, it's going to be a pretty special formation, that's for sure. What a weekend to be down here in Melbourne, Grant. We should be up here. Sorry, there's just going to be a momentary pause while we just drool. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, no, it's a momentary pause while you guys change your travel plans for tomorrow, I would say, wouldn't you? Yes, I think you've got that, I think you've got that right for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's a pair of uh, handheld recording devices itching to get up there and record yeah. that sound because I got, I got the uh, P40. 
40 the other day. That was beautiful. Mm, I can and I'll tell that. you, it is quite interesting because uh, the, the reasons for flying these airplanes is, is so different from the business of high performance, uh, either racing or aerobatics, because first of all, there's the sense of privilege because you, you are let loose in a machine which is a valuable asset to somebody. It's a piece of history as well. Um, and, you know, your, your biggest worry is, is, is something you know, doesn't work out very well that you can cope with it and, and get the airplane safely on the ground and, and not lose a, a, a prized possession. But uh, but 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 things happen in such, at such a pace that you can really really enjoy the moment while it's happening rather than uh, you know I think Matt will agree with me. You can one of the uh, sad things about uh, the Red Bull Air Race is that you can fly a race which is to a perfect plan in your in your mind and you can come off the track thinking God that was absolutely fantastic. But then when you hear your time and you're 1.2 seconds behind. Uh, the guy who is quickest, you know, the pleasure, a lot of the pleasure disappears. So, you know, at least tomorrow we don't have that kind of pressure on us. Yeah, you just got to wow the crowd. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so you've planned out how you're going to do the show. Um, you've, you've got all that in mind. We've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, yeah, Nigel, uh, pulled, I arrived this afternoon. Nigel's been here all week and he pulled me aside uh, when I got here and gave me, um, yeah, his, uh, in fact, he said he's been burdened with the responsibility of running it. Then he said, here's what I'm thinking, handing out. You're running it now. <laughs> so, so I'm now going to have to think about it. He's the local boy. <laughs> so that's why I've got to brief it because he, he says that um, I've got to talk so the others can understand what we're going to do. Otherwise, he'll be on, out there on his own with no one, no one knowing what's going on. <laughs> it's these accents, mate. <laughs> Nigel, have you had a chance to fly in the P51 of Matt's? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We, uh, we um, The company that I'm very involved with in England has got a uh, P51 Ferocious Frankie, which is, yeah, great. I mean, I love the I love the uh, the P fifty one. It is uh, wonderful to fly as well. Is it safe to ask you which you prefer, the Spit or the P fifty one? You know, it's interesting. Somebody asked me that this afternoon, and I'll give you the same answer. It depends what you're going what you're going to do. For me, if I'm doing a uh, display on my own. Uh, I'd rather be in the Spitfire. It's just kind of, it's sort of lighty, uh, lighter, uh, perhaps a little bit more agile, quicker to turn. It's, it's just a bit easier, and, 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 and I love it. The, the, the P-51 is much better at what it was designed to do, which is going a long way, much quicker, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, a slightly different different airplane. But it's also very, very nice to display. We mentioned earlier, uh, Steve, slightly saying uh, the jets but um, now there is a vampire there it is the only Australian built vampire still flying in Australia but uh, my understanding is that there's quite a few ex uh, Zimbabwean uh, uh, Rhodesian um, vampires in Australia that uh, Judy Pay and the crew at the old aircraft company were bringing in and restoring have you seen any of those ones Nigel? No I haven't the only one I've seen is the one here but there's also jet wise there's also the F-86 uh, Sabre oh yes there's a, there's a Meteor which yep. is a, an amazing machine and also a Canberra yep no they've got a beautiful collection there uh, was, incredible yeah I was, uh, the, the F-86 only just recently flew again so which is a wonderful mm-hmm. thing but uh, mm. no I was just wondering if Nigel you're ex-Rhodesian or Zimbabwean Air Force it was yeah, Rhodesian that's right, yeah. yeah now yeah, and I did I did fly vampires as well actually yeah it shows, it shows you how old I am <laughs> experience sir experience that's absolutely experience it for sure <laughs> Nigel trained my boss in the Air Force how to fly <laughs> <laughs> yeah Grant we probably shouldn't have gone down this path now, uh, <laughs> I was just I was just going to ask if Nigel, if you'd had a chance, if in any of your times here in Australia, you'd had a chance to catch up with any aircraft you might have logged time in while you're with the Air Force. Um, I, no, no, I, I, I haven't actually, because. Uh 
I've only been involved with um, David Lowy and the museum here, and uh, and then the only other times has been when I've um, been racing down in okay. uh, down in Perth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, if if you ever get a chance to come to Melbourne, you should look up uh, the old aircraft company. Um, oh, okay. With Judy Pay and Co. And uh, because yeah, I'm pretty sure they they may have a few uh, construction constructor numbers you've flown. But uh, yeah. yeah, given that you train Matt's instructor, uh, is it safe to ask what you think of the product of the modern instruction these days? <laughs> obviously, very, very, obviously, clearly, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I just had to ask. <laughs> Grant, cool. they're never going to want to speak to us again if you keep asking questions like that. <laughs> no, someday, no, no, I'm happy. Some days you just got to stir Matt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you guys able to tell us anything about what's coming up for you next year with Red Bull? I've got uh, I've got a new aircraft being built, yep. which is another MXSR, um, and it's probably it's not going to fly until uh, just before the racing season. So uh, we're going to be we're going to be working pretty hard to get that uh, up to speed, uh, and then we um, then we hit the the race season itself. Um, and as far as the race season is concerned. And as far as I'm aware at the moment, is um, there's going to be some races. I'm not exactly sure where they're going to be, but I know one's in Perth on the 17th and 18th of April. So uh, that's kind of my 2010 plan so far. Nigel, have you got anything more solid than that? No, I, I mean, I would just elaborate by saying that, uh, I mean, I'm still in my MX, the same MXS for next season, just doing whatever modifications we can uh, to try and get it a little bit quicker. Um, you know, every, everybody's focused on, uh, on engines because there's been some development in just getting more power in the last year or so. So, so everybody's focusing on the very uh, same thing. I think um, the, one of the big differences between the next year and this year is that there will be more races next year. Um, I, I believe up, up to possibly even 10, um, but the calendar will be, will be published fairly soon. So other than that, we know when we're starting. Perth, as Matt said, middle of April. And um, my forecast is that you're going to have a much... Each year, it's become more and more competitive. And I think next year will be the same again. I think there will be several people and airplanes because, of course... It's the combination that counts, but I should think I think there'll be several who will who will be capable of winning next year. And Nigel, uh, I hope you're sticking with the Brightling for your sponsor because that's such a, a distinctive, striking uh, paint scheme that you have on that aircraft. It's beautiful. Well, yeah, I'm very lucky, and uh, yeah, that uh, I think announcements may be be made fairly soon. And um, as far as I'm, I know, my airplane will be in Brightling colours next year. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. It, it always gets very very good comments from the photographers. Oh yeah, uh, we got several shots of it. The last time you were in Perth. We, uh, prob- I think probably the, the majority of the shots we got were of your aircraft because of, only because of the paint scheme and where we were sitting in the grandstand you sort of wing over right in front of us you know it was yeah no, I think it was the way it was flown actually don't you oh and, well, <laughs> well I, I was getting to that of course <laughs> Steve's lucky enough to have seen you guys fly in the flesh. I've only ever seen the Red Bull on TV, unfortunately. I mm. haven't been able to get over to Perth for it, so we hope to fix that next year. Yeah, there's another reason to travel. Oh. You got a, so you got a busy time you this weekend and then uh, Perth coming up as well. Yeah, and uh, they'll show us your wheels next weekend. There you go. You're going to be a busy man. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't, somehow I don't think I'm going to be allowed to get up there this weekend. <laughs> oh, Matt, I was just going to say with regard to your aircraft, um, have, you, have you had some sponsors come on board or a different paint scheme for this coming season? Do you know? Um, we, Are you able to say? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a, a sponsor that we're just finalising um, some details on at the moment. Uh, it's not going to be um, as major as Brightling, so it's not going to be written right across the wings. Um, but uh, it's my first uh, my first step there that uh, I have a sponsor, which you know, I'll be wearing a cap and um, having some signs on the plane, etc. So. That's pretty exciting, and I won't uh, won't announce it just yet though until uh, everything's buttoned up and um, and then uh, we'll roll it out. So yeah, the same basically the same paint scheme um, until uh, until we've got someone that's uh, 
that's uh, right behind us as a team sponsor, and uh, then we can jump into their colours. Now, Nigel, we've, when we've spoken to Matt on the last couple of t- couple of interviews, we've spoken to him about growing up, learning to fly with his around with his dad when his dad was flying everywhere, and. Uh, uh, very similar to yourself in that you were your father was ex Air Force and so learning to fly in a flying family. Now Matt flies almost anything he can whenever he can. Are, uh, Nigel, are you the same? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I always say that. The, you know, if people say what, what's the fa- what's your favourite airplane? He says the one I'm flying at that moment. But, uh, <laughs> yep. No, but I, my, mine is a little bit different. I was born on a uh, very remote farm on or brought up on a remote farm in the Eastern Highlands of Rhodesia. My father had been uh, he was a fighter pilot during the Second World War and flew all the stuff that I'm now flying. The Spitfire, P-51, uh, Hurricanes, that sort of thing. But uh, I wasn't brought up surrounded by airplanes. My father, I never saw my father fly. He was a farmer. So, oh, okay. so I, was, uh, I was very, very remote from flying. But luckily, I have ended up just being very, I've, I've been very lucky, actually, and, and flown lots of different types. And uh, and I do I do love it. It's difficult to put your finger on what a, what your hobby is when actually you earn a living doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so what do you fly when you're not doing uh, warbirds or aerobatics? What kind of aircraft? Um, um, I just whatever really. I mean, I don't. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I've got a family. I've got three three boys. So you know, I don't. I don't go and spend all my time flying because I do like to spend some time with my family. But yeah, I mean, I've, I'm just. Uh, England is a is a great variety of of all sorts of all the home built stuff and mm-hmm. and uh, but principally I've been involved in aerobatic and uh, all bird types. Is there anything you guys wanted to add? I've seen the uh, Tamora. Museum, aviation Museum uh, developed from uh, last time I was here, 2001, and I have to say I'm absolutely amazed at the at how big it's become and how uh, you know it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So anybody who hasn't been but has the opportunity to get here really ought to make the effort to come up on one of their uh, flying weekends because it really is a great spot and uh, a, a, a wonderful collection to see. Well, Matt Hall, Nigel Lamb. It's a thrill as always to be able to talk to, to pilots of your caliber. It's um, it's something I had never envisaged doing when we started this podcast project six months ago. We really appreciate your time and we, we hope we can talk to you again at some time in the future. It's been a pleasure. Great, yeah, it's been a great pleasure and uh, hope we catch up with you again in April next year. We'll be there for sure, won't we, yeah. Grant? Oh, definitely. Looking forward to catching up to both of you then. And uh, Matt, we'll see you in another week. <laughs> okay, I'll see you in a week's time then. I'm here with Carlo, the chief check pilot from uh, Flight Experience Melbourne, the 737 flight simulator that's open to the public. You may remember way back in episode six, we had an interview with Carlo that we uh, we recorded on the flight deck of the 737 sim prior to going and having a little bit of fun with some flights. I haven't seen Carlo for a while. He's been busy running around the world doing a lot of aviation stuff. We figured we'd uh, take a couple of minutes now that we've got him cornered here to have a quick chat about what's new in the simulator and what's been happening since last we chatted and what's coming up in the near future that he's allowed to tell us. So, Carlo, how you been, mate? Oh, I've been busy at 38,000 feet, you could say, <laughs> even in my simulator. Um, yeah, probably the most interesting, coolest thing I've just done, we've installed uh, live ATC into the sim. So you've basically got real-time streamed um, ATC from the YMML uh, tower. Uh, we've got control running. We've got Moravin running. Um, so that's real-time in the sim. So it gives a real sort of realistic feel when you're flying around. You get the real weather sort of streaming in, obviously, uh, from those calls. So that's been pretty cool. We're getting a lot of sort of feedback on the ambient feel of the the flying sensation of flying the sim. So it gives that, that realism side, which is really cool. So a lot of people pr- appreciating that. 
Um, I think the other cool thing is our new competition. Okay. Uh, so you can actually win a, uh, win a flight, a one-hour flight right now. If you go to uh, stacks.com.au, which is the JB Hi-Fi magazine, um, you can actually put in uh, your name and details and you can actually win a, win a flight, a one-hour flight. So I'd love you all to uh, jump jump onto that site and actually uh, join that. And the other cool thing, we'd love you to join our fan book face page. Fan, fan what is it? Fan book Facebook page. Fan page. Um, yeah, so flight experience um, it is, and it's the Melbourne store. We've got uh, nearly eight hundred fans now. We're getting a lot of uh, interesting feedback from the questions we're posing on technical details to try and test our our readers. And I'm sure all of you out there would like to be tested as well. And we do give away hats. And we're giving away different things for the people that get it right. So a lot of interaction there, which has been a lot of fun. I think the other thing, obviously, with Christmas leading up, you know, bookings we're taking all the time. It's pretty hard to get into. So there's a good good 30-day wait for a weekend. But, you know, weekdays is not a problem. We're, we've extended the hours out to 9, 9 p.m. pretty much every day now. Um, so, so those are the good things happening. And obviously our round robins, um, you know, we've launched those. There's been a lot of interest. But really where we've had the interest is in our flying club. And the Flying Club's been amazing from the point of view that uh, people are joining and learning how to use our simulator from end, from end to end, everything they need to know, and then they can bring their own friends in. Cool. So they don't have one of our instructors at the end. So it means right now if you come in, you sit there with one of our instructors and your mate sits behind you or your partner as such, um, where if you do this Flying Club, you can actually bring in and fly with your friend. And cool. so you can plan your own flights, your own round robins, do whatever you want in that time, and our instructor will sit in the back seat in the jump seat and if you have any problems, they'll yell out to you and say, hey, why don't you do this and try that? But basically, you're flying the sim on your own. So that's, that's really exciting for a lot of the simmers out there. Uh, we had feedback from simmers that they weren't able to fly with their friends or they couldn't do everything because they had the instructor there. But And most of them don't need them, our instructors. But we can't just chuck anyone into the sim, as you can imagine. So we need to put them through the whole paces and learn, teach them everything. And, you know, there's a lot of bit of extra study you'd probably need to do. But the reality is once you're at the end of this course, you can actually fly with your friends. So we're pretty excited about it, and there's been a big uptake on that. Um, I think models-wise, we've had some really cool models. Had the 727 ANSET in there, and that's selling really, really well. So that is really exciting. A lot of people are really into that, and we just cannot get enough of them. Um, you know, the Virgin 737-800, the 1-200 to 200, um, scale. We've got the Qantas, which is 1-200, to 200, been very, very popular. How about the RAF BBJ? Uh, yeah, that's been that's been moving actually, yeah. but it's only to real enthusiasts who know. Yeah. A lot of people don't know what it is. Yeah, they don't. They think it's a military plane. They don't realize that that's that's what our prime minister flies in. <laughs> and once you start to tell them, it's like you know, it's like Air Force One. You know, yeah. it's not quite the same, but it's, <laughs> but it carries the same sort of leader, I guess you could say. So, Miss Mister Rudd, he flies in that. So, and actually, one of our pilots who's an instructor actually flies that real plane. So that's oh, a wow. that's a cool connection. So we don't we don't sell a heap of them because a lot of people don't know about it. Yeah. But once you start telling people, they're like, oh wow, okay, get yeah, they get yeah. it. So that that's exciting. We just put in a whole lot of new uh, toys and little things, uh, you know, airplanes with fans on them, and we've got Air Force Air Fork One. Um, so for kids, it's like a little fork thing, which is like an air, you know, an airplane, which is a lot of fun. A lot of people like that one. Uh, a lot of flashing toys, a lot of sort of gifts for Christmas. Yeah. You know, which uh, we're finding great feedback and people are really enjoying those. And our flight experience hats now. We've got um, proper captain's hats for, uh, you know, commercial airliner hats, which have been really popular. So people are buying those and, that you know, they're reasonably priced, all of this stuff. They're not, not overpriced. Um, so we're getting good feedback on our competitive pricing. But look, back back at the simulator, you know, it, it's, you know, we've installed some more fans to keep it a bit cooler for the summer coming up because it's pretty hot. Um, so that, that's been pretty exciting from that point of view as well. Yep. But uh, there's a lot going on, and we just ask people to jump on the fan uh, the fan page on Facebook. Yep. 
um, and come into the store, come and talk to the guys. 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. every day, it is free for you to come and look at because yep. uh, that's our lunch break where we uh, rotate our staff for lunch, yep. but you're welcome to come and look at it. A lot of people want to see what the simulator looks like inside. So you're welcome. You can't fly it, can't sit in it, but you can at least have a look at it, yep. you know, what you're about to spend money on. Yep. So obviously online at flightexperience.com.au forward slash Melbourne. Um, also worldaviationexperience.com for all of our merchandise and then obviously Facebook for um, our fan page. It was a lot of fun to interact with our with our customers. Yep. So thanks for having me on the show again, Grant. Nice. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. It's always a laugh listening to it. So playing crazy, let's go. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Carlo. Appreciate your time, mate. G'day, this is Owens Up. Join me in May 2010 as I trek around Australia in a Jabiru 230 to celebrate the centenary of powered flight down under and in the process raise vital funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Check out my website and follow my progress at www.thereandback.com.au. In the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy the in-flight service with Grant and Steve on Playing Crazy Down Under. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we rely on the generous support of our listening audience. If you like what we do, if you enjoy our weekly attempts at infotainment, then please visit www.planecrazydownunder.com and click on the button marked Donate. Donations of any size are very much appreciated. Thanks, folks. Okay, I'm here with Nick Brow. Nick is a balloon pilot who has been flying over Melbourne, the CBD of Melbourne, for quite a number of years, and we're going to talk to Nick about uh, his start in flying, when he, uh, how he started flying, and then how he started flying balloons, and uh, his adventures in Patagonia, and uh, then coming over here and what it's been like flying over Melbourne. So, g'day Nick, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Grant. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you. As an 18-year-old, I started flying planes. Uh, I thought at that point that uh, I would become, or I would follow the commercial uh, plane career now to eventually become uh, one of the uh, commanders of planes and go across the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. At, uh, I, at 18 years of age, uh, I, I got my PPL, and uh, I was paying for my own flying out of my own work and pocket. And uh, those things in life, no, there was a moment uh, um, when uh, well, I actually learned to fly in Argentina, one of these little aerodromes with the uh, grass, uh, grass runways and a uh, very friendly atmosphere. And um, so because it was expensive, I decided to go and uh, work in Europe for a couple of years to earn some uh, strong currency and take it back to Argentina. The idea then with my PPL, which I had when I left for Europe, is uh, to get, get back there and buy a little what they call a Bolgero, which is an Argentine plane, which is basically a little replica of the Piper PA-11 and uh, built in the 1950s. No? So they're still run yeah. And uh, anyway, the exchange rate when I got back was the complete uh, opposite to what I had anticipated, one of those things that happened in South America. And uh, coupled with that, my father died, so like, the economy uh, became more difficult. So I actually stopped flying for a while, you know. And um, there was another intermediate trip that I did to England when I started to fly gliders, and I enjoyed that quite a lot. But there were quite, quite a number of years that I actually stopped flying, you know. Uh, so I only I only went into the aviation, like the airplane career uh, as a PPL. I was trying to work my way up towards a commercial. Anybody involved in, in, uh, in aviation knows how expensive that can be. And uh, so I actually at one moment thought, okay, that's the end of my aviation career, you know. 
and uh, like lots of different things happened in between. But uh, uh, at the end of the 80s, I went to live in England. And my mother lives in Oxford, and she suddenly called me up one day and said, look, there's a balloon and Bentley meet in Leeds Castle, which is in Kent. And uh, so we went to see. I had never really seen, seen balloons before. I had actually seen a few in California, but I never got really involved with them. But, uh, you know, I went to this uh, Leeds Castle, which is a lovely uh, castle in a beautiful surroundings and a lovely lake in the front of it. And I had this Guinness can of beer, 40 meters high, you know, inflate in front of me, and uh, off it went flying. I mean, I remember the Guinness uh, (laughs) can of beer, but there's quite a few of these special shaped balloons. And um, at the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, ballooning, commercial ballooning in England was really big, you know, and you had all these, like the Virgin Airship and Balloon Company and Flying Pictures. They were doing promotions. Like most of the big companies in in England had a balloon as part of their. promotion side yeah. of what they were doing huh? and um, so British Telecom had its balloon and uh, the power, the electric power grid had the balloons and uh, Orange and uh, mobile phone companies yeah. Yeah? and uh, so anyway I sort of saw these balloons and I actually saw these people were actually working and earning a living doing ballooning you know? and I thought oh that's an interesting way to, uh, to earn a living so I actually took a passenger ride over Oxford yeah. and uh, and if you've flown other aircraft, you're in the air and you, you can see some similarities. And although, although you do flight time in a balloon, if you can fly one thing, I think you can fly the other once you, do, one, once you put in the hours, let's yeah. say, to learn it. No? And uh, so I took a, a, a ride over Oxford and I said, I can learn to do this. And that was the beginning of ballooning. No? So that was at the beginning of the 90s. And, uh, well, like many years later, and uh, having flown... Say close to 100 cities in the world. I've been flying Melbourne now for seven years. Mm-hmm. Melbourne is a fantastic place to fly balloons. It is the largest city in the world that you can overfly regularly. That makes it very interesting. And, uh, well, with the three airports and the base and uh, all these balloon flights completely in control, in, uh, being controlled by the, by the air traffic control systems, it's a very interesting way to fly a balloon, and there's uh, not really very many places in the in the world that that can happen. Like most places, you will be flying a balloon out in the countryside, no? Yeah. Whereas here, we're actually flying over the CBD if possible, and um, so yeah, I've been doing that for a few years over here. Okay, and uh, yeah, you flew in Patagonia for a while. You ran your own balloon company there, didn't you? Yeah, I actually re- opened my own business, and after I le- after I got my commercial license, I started my own business in Argentina. So ran that for quite a few years over there, quite successfully, but not so much flying passengers, but actually doing promotions, a bit like the Flying Pictures and okay. and uh, Virgin Airship and Balloon Company back then. And um, so, yeah, I did lots of flying right in the south of uh, Argentina, which is the, all the ice field areas, and uh, up in the north where the Iguazu Falls are. Lots of flights in Buenos Aires. And I actually was with Steve Fawcett, for example, which is the guy that went around the world in yeah. balloon in 1998, I think. No, he did in 2002. Two, yeah. yeah, 2002, 98 was when Picard went round the world in the Northern Hemisphere. And uh, so his third attempt, uh, he actually went round the world in, on his fifth attempt. Mm-hmm. But on the third attempt, he took off from uh, Mendoza in Argentina. I was with him and with his team. I was flying a little balloon uh, doing promotions for Land Rover back then. Okay. And um, so, yeah, I, I ran a company over there and uh, did a lot of... Uh, Spectacular flying over the mountains in Patagonia and uh, deserts in the middle of Argentina and up in the jungle in the north. So lots of interesting stories over there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to sit down and have a chat about those one day. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. 
And so, okay, you've been flying over Melbourne for seven years, and uh, how do you, how do you find the flying? I mean, um, balloon flying is is a lot of fun because you're you're at the mercy of the winds and all that. But uh, I guess here in Melbourne, it's a lot more challenging because you've got to really target where you're going because there's so few spaces to take off and land. Is that correct? Yeah. If uh, if any balloonist has ever done any competition flying. And uh, which is basically you try to take the balloon with the prevailing wind conditions to the best possible outcome or, the, or, or a target. You're actually trying to fly a target. All the flights that we do in Melbourne is uh, target flying. So obviously we try to, or we do avoid obviously flying towards the bay or, or land <laughs> where it's not, uh, where it's not, uh, we like to, we like it to be nice and dry. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so it's a lot of target flying, and uh, I'd say that I'd say close to 90% of our flights we actually hit the targets that we're aiming for, which is a it's a very good record. No, and uh, all the pilots that fly over the city, you're going to see up to eight, sometimes even nine balloons flying over the city. All the pilots that fly the city have a, a lot of experience before they actually come to fly over over the CBD. So it's very interesting in the sense that you you know you suddenly get eight eight pilots up in the air. And the combined experience of those eight pilots flying is virtually thousands and thousands of hours because, I mean, I think the average number of hours of anybody flying over the cities must be close to 2,000, you know, with 1,500 or 2,000 ballooning hours. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot. uh, It's a a place where you're constantly learning to fly. Uh, Melbourne's got uh, tricky weather conditions, so you learn uh, the microclimate of the area. And uh, it's also very interesting to learn um, to communicate and to understand what the air traffic control need from us or what they uh, what are their worries. And over the years, um, I find that we've de- developed a, a very interesting relationship with them. So they understand what we can do, and we understand their needs as well. And so we so we we do fly balloons, which most people that don't know about ballooning think it's uh, you don't govern these balloons and they just float in the wind and they go anywhere. And it is not true. I mean, we have learned uh, to actually use the upper winds and the lower winds in Melbourne to, to take it to the easiest or safest locations for landing and also to stay away or steer away from trouble or, 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 or being a problem for the airports because we're flying in an area which is uncomfortable for them with the planes coming in and out. And uh, so, yeah, it's very technical flying and very interesting. And you also use a ground crew a lot, don't you? Because uh, doing all the um, pilot balloons, letting up the little helium balloons, saying what's happening ahead where you're going to land and sometimes using handling ropes, yeah? Well, you know that very well. You've done it many, (laughs) many, many times. But, uh, yeah, the ground crew in in Melbourne is crucial for us. So the guys that are on the ground, the, the fact that they actually understand what we need from them and the information that they need from them, that we need from them is is crucial for a safe flight many 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 times you know so the guys actually read in the winds on our landing site or on the ground when we are flying allows us to to uh, to calculate our flight to be able to take it to the to the to the landing point and also because we are actually taking off and landing inside melbourne sparks Many times, because the balloon might be just five meters off course, we have to drop a line and you get all these guys uh, pulling and towing at the ropes and uh, bring us bringing us into line. So, yeah, it, it is, look, one flight out of 20 or 30, maybe one in, a f- in 50, the actual fact that you have a crew that is uh, really fully understands what's going on is crucial to the whole uh, safety of, 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 of the flight. And um, not because of the safety. I'm not talking safety. It's never unsafe for the passengers. But you don't want to put a tear in the envelope. You don't want to sort of uh, damage the balloon. But overall, are uh, quite fragile. No, it's just nylon. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and also the the information that the crew guys give us is uh, just so helpful for for the navigation that we do. Yeah. Okay, about how many hours would you have now total in balloons? I've I've flown two thousand three hundred hours in a balloon, and uh, flying planes, uh, I don't think I reach a hundred. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, any interest in going back to fixed wing or anything like that? Look, uh, it would be great to actually take off and be able to to uh, plan a trip and you know go and visit a friend uh, to a couple of hundred kilometers away. Now we just do these <laughs> flights, which is like ten kilometers, twenty kilometers at the most, basically. Yeah. And uh, the big difference is that uh, ballooning is a sport, and um, and uh, so it's it, there's different things involved in it. It's a bit like if you were sailing, you know. And uh, the difference between driving a power boat or a sailing boat, and uh, that's the difference between ballooning and flying a plane. So um, I like to fly. Yep. So I mean, I, I'd love to 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 get onto a plane now and again, obviously, and uh, even back onto a glider. I'm a bit of a fr- frustrated uh, hang glider pilot because <laughs> uh, I was going to do hang gliding until I discovered ballooning. Yeah. The good thing about ballooning is that it can become a profession. Yeah. So I, I'm actually been uh, a professional pilot, balloon pilot now for close to 16 years, 17 years, and uh, that is not easy to do with other forms of sport <laughs> aviation. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, yeah, it's a lovely sport. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks very much. Anything you'd like to say at the moment? Oh, look, it's uh, just great to continue flying over Melbourne, and uh, Grant, uh, you're always welcome to come and fly with us. Uh, you've been invited a few times, and uh, you haven't been out with me for a few. A couple of years now, yeah, at least now. So yeah. yeah, hope to get you on board soon. Yeah, well, hopefully my uh, day job in IT will let me do it pretty soon. I'm, I'm hanging to come up again. It's been a long time since I was up flying over the CBD. So yeah, definitely want to come up again. And thanks for having me here. No worries. Thanks, Nick. So leading into the news, the first item that we've got here is um, slightly amusing, and that's that uh, apparently British Airways is uh, considering trying again to link up with Qantas. They're already members of One World, of course, but uh, as some of you may remember, uh, earlier in the year, uh, British Airways and Qantas were discussing a uh, bit of a merger. They were going to be listed in the UK and in Australia. Didn't quite work out. There was a lot of uh, issues to resolve and it uh, was taken completely off the board when uh, Alan Joyce became the new CEO of Qantas. Reasons that stumbled related to Qantas having a higher market value uh, while British Airways has a third more revenue than Qantas. Uh, a few other things, not the least of which is, of course, BA's uh, deficit in its pension plan that's apparently around uh, 2.7 billion pounds sterling which in Australian dollars is about 4.8 billion so probably pretty close to 4.5 US dollars 4.5 billion US dollars that is the exchange rate isn't that good so yeah it's real interesting to see uh, Qantas once again saying no we're not even considering it while British Airways is uh, trying to get a, a word in edgeways British Airways are of course pretty busy with their merger with Iberia out of Spain and uh, that too is hinging upon BA being able to fix their uh, pension plan deficit. A bit concerned about BA trying to link up with uh, Qantas. Are they trying to use a merger to gloss over the problems they're experiencing, try and make their balance sheets look a little better? Not sure, but I think it's a little amusing. 
Next item up is uh, that the uh, FAA out of the USA is going to conduct a uh, air safety review audit of the Australian air safety systems. According to an article in Australian Aviation, our favourite magazine, the FAA staff will be arriving in Australia this week to commence the review, examining aspects of our aviation safety regulation and safety oversight framework, particularly in reference to ICAO standards and recommended practices. According to the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, CASA, here in Australia, the review is a routine part of the FAA's international audit program for nations whose airlines fly to the US. CASA's CEO John McCormick says Australian aviation has a proud safety record with one of the most rigorous regulatory frameworks in the world. I am pleased the US Federal Aviation Administration has accepted CASA's invitation to visit Australia during 2009. So that's going to be an interesting one. Next item up we've got is a, uh, a bit of a sad anniversary. It was 30 years ago this weekend that an Air New Zealand DC-10 crashed on the sides of Mount Erebus in Antarctica. Air New Zealand Flight 901 was partway through a uh, sightseeing tour of the Antarctic region when it crashed into the side of Mount Erebus, killing all 237 passengers and 20 crew on board. Essentially, the aircraft was flying a route that was not what the flight deck crew thought it was. They were used to previous flights that Air New Zealand had run where they ran up McMurdo Sound, so they were able to get down lower than the minimum safe altitude because they were over a wide flat area. All the previous flights had done it. This one was given a slightly different routing. It was put on the correct official route. The other ones had been flying an unofficial route. The official route went straight over the top of Mount Erebus. The flight crew didn't realize this and were too low and slammed into the side of the mountain. Pretty tragic, pretty horrific. Uh, On a personal note, my family knew people on board. Specifically, the flight engineer was a uh, friend of my father's. So 30 years on, they're having uh, some memorials. Uh, Air New Zealand is flying a select few family members down. The the whole Erebus disaster was a contentious issue. Uh, Air New Zealand at first tried to say it was 100% pilot error. There was um, an investigation which subsequently showed the issues with uh, the route planning. The big contentious part of it is is how Air New Zealand had treated people, trying to sweep it under the carpet and cover things up and so on. And it was only last month that Air New Zealand Chief Rob Fife actually apologised for the way families were treated, saying sorry to all those who suffered the loss of a loved one or were affected by the Erebus tragedy and did not receive the support and compassion they should have. So, uh, yeah, there was a flight uh, leaving Christchurch, heading to Antarctica for a memorial service. They were going to place a canister filled with messages at the uh, spot where the plane hit the mountain. Due to this accident, uh, Air New Zealand naturally shut down all their uh, sightseeing tours of Antarctica, and not long after, Qantas closed theirs off. Qantas did start doing some uh, new flights with 747-400s in the uh, nineties and uh, commencing flights with the A380 starting on uh, January 1st, 2010. Our next item uh, relates to Virgin Blue, and Virgin Blue is reporting that uh, they're likely to have a uh, profit in the financial year 2009-2010. To let everyone else outside of Australia know, we work on a uh, July 1st to June 30th financial year, we're currently in the uh, 2009 to 2010 financial year. Uh, so Virgin's saying that by the end of June 2010, they'll have posted a profit. They're saying that there's encouraging signs of a rebound in the domestic market. Things are settling down with V Australia, their long haul arm, 
and they're generally turning the corner and getting back out of the problems that they had recently. In the last financial year, they got hit pretty hard by the financial crisis, as did a lot of groups, but also launching their new long haul did impact them a little. Uh, when they had uh, delays in their 777 delivery due to the Boeing strike, and then a drop off in, in passenger numbers due to the GFC and so on. But still, they're saying their 777s are running about 75% full on V Australia's routes, so that's pretty cool. They're opening up new routes going into Fiji, into parts of Asia, and also across to South Africa. So, Virgin Blue, Pacific Blue, and V Australia, they're saying that that group will wind up being in the black again very shortly. So, if that's true, that's pretty good news for Virgin, and we're happy to see that. Uh, over on, over at Qantas, however, they're uh, they're not talking about uh, being in the black and so on. They're just continuing on with their plans to uh, keep improving how they work. Part of that is that they're going to spend 4.4 billion over the next two years purchasing new aircraft and uh, embarking on a campaign to shore up margins. They're going to be buying 43 aircraft, and uh, eight of those will be additional A380s. That's going to be kicking in in the next year or two as they buy some additional aircraft. Now, unfortunately, this report is not clear enough. It's uh, it's from the Bloomberg Newswire, printed in the uh, the Australian's business section, and uh, they're saying that uh, there's going to be 43 planes. Eight will be A380s, but they're not really indicating what the rest of the aircraft are. And uh, I think this is rolled in with previous announcements we've had about 737s and so on being purchased but not 100% sure on that one. One thing that is coming up is that Qantas are in introducing, uh, in, from starting in Perth in early 2011, they're going to be rolling out a, uh, a new check-in process for passengers. Uh, it's for frequent flyers, starting from silver level upwards. They're going to be giving out RFID chip-based uh, personal boarding pass and permanent bag tag to frequent flyers so that you can just walk up and um, swipe your cards at the prox reader and it knows who you are, it knows where you're flying and voila, your bag is checked and with the right computer equipment it'll be uh, pretty quickly processed to the aircraft and out the other end. That's where Qantas is looking to take things. Of course, uh, not long after they announced that uh, Airport of the Future, they had the major problem with chickens due to the Amadeus systems crash so that we reported previously. So, yeah, just a reminder that uh, computerization can be great so long as the things keep working. So, along the lines of uh, Qantas and their aircraft purchases, uh, it was announced that Jetstar is now going to get 25 787s. Uh, They were slated to get 15. So, this indicates that Jetstar is pretty serious uh, about taking on more and more of the Qantas routes. Uh, despite Alan Joyce saying previously that uh, Qantas would not be Jetstarized, I think uh, our favourite little joke line here at uh, PCDU, which is that Qantas, a Jetstar company, is starting to become more and more true. As the uh, 787s come online, we can definitely expect to see Jetstar taking on uh, more and more routes and a more significant role in the uh, Qantas International Network. They're still currently scheduled to take delivery of their first 787-9 in 2013, and they're expecting that that will allow them to launch uh, services to Europe. So it'll be interesting to see how many routes transition to the Orange Star from the uh, Flying Kangaroo. In December, the Australian Federal Government will release its aviation white paper, which, among other things, is expected to uh, lay down the law for handling capacity within the Sydney area. The Sydney International Airport is doing fine at the moment. However, as uh, traffic picks up with recovery around the world, it is expected that uh, it will fast approach its uh, capacity once again. 
at which point uh, it would appear that uh, the government is thinking of uh, allowing the RAAF Richmond Airport to be used for as a temporary solution for some domestic aircraft, uh, most likely the, those of a 737 size and so on. That would be a temporary solution for the Sydney Basin area until a more permanent solution is adopted. However, the sources are indicating that uh, this will definitely be a temporary solution as preference is to build a whole new airport inland from the central coast uh, to be linked with Sydney via a fast train service. Of course, generally when a government uh, and internal sources say that it's only temporary, you can probably expect it to be uh, pretty permanent. However, we'll find out more in December when the white paper itself is actually released. They are considering what to do about Sydney. Uh, you've got Badgeries Creek site that for a long time that was going to be the uh, the second airport. However, that has been ruled out now. Uh, whether that remains, that's been ruled out, ruled in, ruled out again. Uh, we'll see. It's a very much a political hot potato, uh, the whole issue of capacity and uh, flights in and out of Sydney. Of interest is that uh, the managing director of Canberra International Airport, Stephen Byron, has uh, told a uh, New South Wales Transport Summit that he expects Canberra to handle more flights as Sydney Airport approaches capacity. And he is also casting doubt on a second airport for the Sydney region. Uh, It's his belief that between Newcastle, Bankstown and Richmond, they'll be able to take some pressure off Sydney with Canberra picking up a large chunk of the slack interesting concept and we'll see if that really comes to fore. Canberra is pretty close and if they had a fast rail link between Canberra and Sydney you could probably get away with it. Majority of tourists do want to come into Sydney although Melbourne is picking up a large proportion of tourism as well. It's it's a complicated area around Sydney, it's very congested, a lot of aircraft. Uh, Use of RWF Richmond is limited because it is a military base and while they are able to get away with it up in Darwin, there is some question as to how they'll be able to do it in uh, in the Sydney Basin area. Newcastle Airport already accepts 737s and A320s. They're doing a lot of infrastructure building to get themselves ready to handle more load. Newcastle is of course a perfect place if you uh, are wanting to get people from the northern areas of Sydney and up around Newcastle and further north. During the tourism travel across to New Zealand and so on, there's quite a few uh, flights out of there to New Zealand and other parts, uh, tourism parts of Australia. So we're watching this with quite a lot of interest. We'll keep you posted on what's going on. A classic example of things that are happening is the uh, the changes for the Williamtown Newcastle area. Uh, Williamtown is another RWF base, and uh, it's close to the Newcastle Airport, uh, to the north of the Sydney Basin area. As of now, they've introduced some changes to the airspace, such that when the uh, the RWF aren't flying on weekends and during the Christmas stand down period, there's more flexibility for. Uh, in- implementing direct routes through the area. So all these changes uh, are all trying to deal with the the congestion in the Sydney area and uh, we'll see how that all comes together. And now a quick recap on a couple of uh, air incident issues that uh, we've been following for quite a while. Uh, The first one is the Qantas A330s that have had some uh, ADIIU air data inertial reference units uh, providing incorrect information Uh, out north of Perth. It's happened twice to Qantas A330s that they've they've had erroneous data on the flight deck and uh, one actually led to some pitch down, pitch up movements which in turn injured a number of people. Even some who were strapped in were uh, thrown around a little. The latest is that the Australian Transport Safety Bureau has uh, stated that uh, 
these incidents are not at all related to the uh, ADIRU pitot tube problems uh, that it, that may have downed the Air France Flight 447 uh, earlier in the year. One of the uh, stories is that it may have been due to stray cosmic radiation uh, disrupting the computer. Um, I find that pretty interesting. They are ruling out any impact from the uh, Harold Holt very low frequency uh, radio base station. Cosmic rays, stray neutrons, very interesting. As one friend has said, uh, yeah, it's the aliens and they're practicing with their beams. So, <laughs> But they're still investigating into it. The ATSB had a that, that exact same Qantas A330 flying in that area a number of times trying to replicate the problem and haven't been able to replicate it since. They're still investigating, as the ATSB is also investigating the oxygen bottles that... Uh, led to an explosion in a Qantas 744 that was uh, flying back to Australia and wound up having to divert to Manila after a um, decompression when an oxygen bottle ruptured and blew out part of the fuselage side. We're still waiting to see what the results are of that. Both, uh, both of these two incidents had interim uh, reports released by the ATSB. On the military front, big news recently was that uh, the RAAF has agreed to purchase 14 F-35s. This is nowhere near the number of 100 that's uh, considered to be needed, but it does uh, lock the Australian government into the project without uh, locking them down to a very expensive purchase at this time when no one's got any real money. And uh, as Lockheed has finally admitted, the F-35 is being delayed. Uh, sorry, guys, but I've got to say it. Oh, duh. We couldn't see that one coming. So yes, Australia is going to buy the uh, F-35, a small batch of 14, enough to get them started. They're going to be mostly based in the US while uh, the first few crews are converting. This gives Australia enough time to get on the bandwagon, start to get used to it, buy, uh, get a lot of manufacturing happening here in Australia. There's a, a lot of companies here that are involved in the F-35 project. A lot of that was conditional, of course, upon Australia buying it. The decision to, to purchase more is uh, on hold, though, until about 2013 at this stage. So we have a while to go yet before we see if they get anywhere near the 100 or more that are considered to be required for Australia's defence in the future. Other big news uh, was the final flight of the last caribou here in Australia. Uh, earlier in the week, the um, an aircraft flew into uh, the RAAF Museum at Point Cook here in Melbourne. And we'll have some photos up in our new gallery section at PCDU. That'll be coming soon. The very last flight was to the Australian War Memorial in Canberra, where the uh, last caribou was being retired. And still in the military area, Australia has accepted delivery of its first wedgetail airplanes. Uh, these are the modified Boeing 737 airborne early warning systems. Uh, they're the ones that have the uh, wedgetail radar sticking up from the back of the aircraft. Uh, generally referred to on the tarmac as the toaster because it looks like it's got a large piece of toast sticking out of its back. Although it was delayed, we uh, we have officially um, accepted the first couple in, the remainder being delivered over the next year or two. And also uh, the RAF has received their first C-17 simulator. Uh, it's been delivered, being installed, and uh, crews are going to be trained on that here in Australia. Now, this is important because it's the first C-17 simulator to be delivered outside the USA. Pretty big news on that one all round. So uh, not a bad week for uh, military, although it's sad to see the caribou go. I've enjoyed watching their displays a number of times at air shows where they would uh, land on their nose wheel and trundle along on the nose wheel like a wheelbarrow. Uh, they'd be doing tight turns and cranking around and the loadmaster would be in the back waving to everyone as they sat on the ramp. 
All sorts of great stuff. Uh, classic memories of watching uh, Caribou land in a very strong headwind, and it was almost like a vertical landing. <laughs> it was, it was amazing watching it come down and land at almost no distance at all. Beautiful aircraft. Loved the sound of those big radials. I'm a big fan of radial engines, and you know, if it was a tail dragger, it'd be perfect. But uh, still, the Caribou was a great aircraft. It did a wonderful job, and uh, sad to see it go. But like the F-111, it's uh, done a sterling service for Australia and. The time to move on and get something else. Okay, at the moment there is no real replacement. Uh, the RAAF are using some Super King Airs, the 350s, to try and do some of the transport and liaison work that uh, the Caribou used to do. One of the aircraft that we are considering is the C-27J Spartan. Uh, we refer to it on the ramp as the Baby Hercules. It looks very much like a shrunk Hercules with only two engines. However, very impressive to watch the C-27 as it does uh, barrel rolls and uh, negative G pushovers and large wing overs at air shows. Uh, quite a sight to see a transport aircraft doing that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it could be the C-27 or it could be the Eads Casa C-295. Uh, we hope to know soon, in the next year or so, which aircraft is going to replace the Caribou. Well, there you go. That's the, the end of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed all those little snippets that I've put together for you. Uh, we'll be back to our normal episodes of interviews and news and so on uh, in the next week or so. Meanwhile, if you've listened to all of our episodes, we totally recommend listening to some other aviation podcasts from our friends in the United States, including the Airplane Geeks podcast, of course, A Pilot Story, Airspeed, Uncontrolled Airspace, The Student Pilot Cast, and of course, Joe Dion's back with Fly With Me. Uh, Joe was one of the first aviation podcasts I ever listened to, and it's great to have him back. There's also rumour that the Pilot Cast is going to come back. Uh, Kent's apparently putting an episode together, and uh, we should be hearing that pretty soon. So it's excellent that Pilot Cast and Fly With Me, they were two of the first aviation podcasts I ever listened to, and it's great to have them back. There's many more, of course, and you can see most of them listed on our links page on our website. So thanks, folks. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and uh, I'll catch you next time. This is Grant McCarran signing out. Just remember this. It's what's down under that counts. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. <laughs>